1: Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RISTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and for Muslim friends. I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here for our two uh, this morning. And uh, for all of you who are here, if you'd like to check us out online, please do so sons of com and sons of com. in fact, if you go to sons of com, you can watch the video portion of the show and uh, there you will be able to um, see the face that's made for radio uh, there at sons of com, You can also go to my Twitter feed at fpp tim fpp Tim, which is derived from our periscope account we're, we're uh, shooting out the radio show from there. Also, our Facebook page, Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is B. Dean Sons of Liberty. And uh, also BeforeIt'sNews.com. And then finally on DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. The Sons of Liberty on DLive.tv. And then if you're spreading yourself out a little bit over other social media outlets, spreelygab, me, we, minds, and USA.life, check us out at Sons of Liberty. Uh, or Sons of Liberty Media. Now, in the first hour, I kind of covered some stuff that we were talking about with the stimulus checks, as well as those people who are setting up there in Michigan, as well as other states, and demanding that governors and even some more local mayors and such quit infringing on their rights and quit trying to ticket them, find them, throw them in jail for simply doing normal, everyday things. Now, with that said... Uh, we've got a special guest with us here in hour two, and let me give him a proper introduction, and then we'll bring him on. Ambassador Alan Keyes is the host of Let's Talk America with Alan Keyes on imtv.us and brighton.com. Alan is one of America's preeminent speakers, commentators, constitutional scholars. I might say that I've read him for many years and uh, listened to several of his talks and his videos and stuff, so I'm very honored that he's come on today. He's also, renewed, um, he's also renowned for his political advocacy and activism. He ran for president in 1996, 2000, 2008. America would have been better voting for him than any of those people in, during that time. He was a Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate from Maryland in 1988, in 1992, and from Illinois in 2004 when he challenged Barack Obama, for the Senate there. Um, He's written numerous books. He blogs at LoyalToLiberty.com, and I'm very happy to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Dr. Alan Keyes. Welcome to the show, brother.
0: Well, thank you. It's good to be on. Appreciate it very much.
1: Yes, sir. I'm glad that you made time for us today. We had a little miscommunication, and that's no big deal. Uh, I'm glad that you made time for us in, in this hour to, to be with us. And so we're going to have some people who were who are eager to, to, to listen. And I, we even had some uh, questions at the first, and I said, well, we don't have anyone just yet. So maybe they'll come back on, and we'll cover that in a moment. But uh, I told the guy that, uh, you know, is our he's sort of our ambassador if you will uh between us mm-hmm. i told him i said i want to kind of talk about this issue of liberty and tyranny because that's one of your strong points uh that you speak about and currently in america i mean we've come out from under a tyranny of what i say is a usurpation of the office of the white house and barack hussein uh, so, uh barack hussein obama Satorus sabarka i get my words mixed up there and now we're in with donald trump and we're seeing trillions of dollars of debt being put on us we're seeing governors we're seeing the the president come out with this coronavirus team and this this fear-mongering that comes to the people and is putting them under a tyranny where they people are some people are just scared to even go about their everyday life and I, i wonder as as someone who's been in that city dc and around those kinds of people but yet you seem to have a level head about things how do you see these things uh, taking place, Dr. Keyes?
0: Well, I, I, I think we're, at the moment, under attack as a nation and as a people. Uh, we have been, in point of fact, for quite some time, from forces that are seeking and desire to overthrow our Constitution and substitute for a different form of government that corresponds to their ideological preference for uh, totalitarian socialism, communism, fascism, Nazism, all various versions of the same thing, uh, which they pretend is something that was invented by Marx and it's all new and so forth. But when you examine it in detail, it's just a return to the age-old government uh, based on the assertion of power without constraints, right, because you won the battle or did whatever you had to to get into power. Um, and that's is uh, different from those in the past, only from the fact that it relies on no overarching sense of the divine, right? Most regimes, even when they were aristocratic and tyrannical, had some uh, understanding uh, that you operated in the context of a deity, divine powers, things that people revered and that therefore were evoked uh, so that people would understand that there were things that you had to do and rights that you had to respect. Um, we, of course, reflected that understanding in a more sophisticated way because of the tenets of Christianity in the Bible. Uh, and, and so the understanding of God the Creator informed the idea of what it is right to do, and when you follow the Creator's will and are doing what's right, those who simply have power to try to intimidate you through fear and terror do not have the right to govern you. Rather, you have the right to do uh, what's the authority of god commands you to do for your family for your community for your self-defense for your sustenance uh, and to move forward the idea of government is therefore for people who are in that position asserting and exercising their rights according to the standard of god they come together so that they will have the combined power to defend their mutual and individual exercise of rights and that's the idea the country was based on um, and so government comes into existence as uh, essentially uh, an emanation of the authority of those who are acting by the authority of God uh, to stick to those uh, bounded pathways uh, that allow human beings to function and to live together in a peaceful way, mutually respecting the right actions of others which conform to that standard of right, which all acknowledge. Uh, I think we're now entered into an era when we've abandoned all of that. We've abandoned God. We've abandoned the premise of right informed by the authority of God. We have therefore abandoned the premise of liberty, Uh, because liberty isn't the right to do whatever you have the power to do that might make right. Liberty is the freedom that arises to do what you are doing for the sake of God's mandate of right. So that when you act by his authority, no one has the right to interfere with your exercise of life. There is, therefore, a sense of duty to that standard of authority, but also a sense of responsible use of freedom to take care of yourself, your family, your community, your country. Uh, And it all, uh, I think, revolves around the sense that we are responsible before God for ourselves uh, and that government is our instrument for certain limited purposes. Does that all make sense? And we're now discarding that wholesale uh, because we're being stampeded uh, by fear mongers. You know, uh, Roosevelt is famous for saying the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Well, the Democrats since then uh, have basically translated that into oh, uh, since fear is the, the thing that, that is the thing people have to fear, and we're going to terrorize them, we have to make sure that they live in an environment of fear because that's going to subject them to our control. And that's what I think is going on right now.
1: Yeah, I do too. And and the thing that you get to is the fear, and it's in direct contrast to what we're told in Scripture. We're told over and over and over again, for people at least who are of faith and who hold to God's law and they're obedient to God and they're seeking after God, uh, I've been quoting Psalm 91, those you know who hide in the shadow of the Almighty. They're the ones who protect, and he specifically talks about pestilence and things of these na- this nature in Psalm 91. But this fear that grips the people, I've never seen anything like what we're experiencing now. I've never seen it in my lifetime. I'm 51 years old. I've never seen it in my lifetime in this country. I've never seen it in the world, the way people just... Have just bowed the knee to the beast, whatever their government is, not just in America, they've just succumbed to that in fear. oh we're going to be we're going to be gotten by the coronavirus and I've seen enough medical doctors, nurses, nutritionists, and others who are pointing out they're lying to you. Nobody's ever proved that you pass this on from one person to another like this. In fact, they give the example of the Spanish flu, where it was tested hundreds of times to take from a sick patient and give to a healthy patient, and they never got it. And yet, people are rolling over to the lies from the same politicians well, who've lied to them and the same media that's lied to them.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I would say, let's pause for a minute now. Because even before you consider coronavirus or whatever may be the particular, um, I think, occasion uh, for the fear-mongering that's going on right now, let's ask ourselves a question. If we look back at the history of the United States, forget the rest of the world, I think regimes have generally been based upon fear throughout the history of mankind. Uh, So that what was generally the source of ruling power was the ability so to destroy others in battle that they feared that the remnants that, that you left feared that if they didn't do what you told, you would destroy them in battle. Uh, and so they always operated out of fear. That was the primary motivating uh, force that empowered rulers throughout the history of mankind. Right? And and it all depended on whether you won or lost in this battle or that battle and to then sustain uh, the terrifying uh, results so that people feared you and therefore did your will. America was explicitly founded to reject that, by the way, and to reject it exactly on the premise you just described because, uh, you know, Roosevelt was actually wrong, uh, though, and, and Christian folks should, and biblical uh, people with a biblical understanding should immediately recognize that he was wrong. If you say the only thing you have to fear is fear itself, I would say, no, you're wrong. I don't fear fear. I fear God. Amen. And the only one I have to fear is God. And if I am doing that which accords with the will of God, then I have no reason to fear anything, including death. And that's what Christ came to exemplify in terms of God's will for our humanity. So you look at the told picture, and America was founded on that premise, that what we have to fear is God. And if we are walking in the right according to the standard of God, then we should not fear. Rather, we should come together in confidence in order to defend the right uh, and, and rely in the end on the fact that if we are doing right, if the enemy uh, uh, loses to us, we have vanquished the enemy because God has helped us, empowered us to do so. And if the enemy kills us, that's okay, too, because since we were doing right at the time, we shall then live in communion with God in a way that leaves us entirely unconstrained by death, if you see what I mean, because of... Our belief now that ultimately that communion with God is life and the real meaning of life, not just the life of this physical body that we have. That made people, if uh, and people have forgotten it, that made people risk takers. It, it, it meant if people had been susceptible to the discouragement of their fears, this country would never have been founded. A matter of fact, People would never have come from different parts of the world over the course of our history into an environment that was unknown to them and different than any they had encountered where they were into dangers that they did not know because they it was a, for many of them a new world and a world that was not in conformity with what they were used to. You know the people who generally came here and the people who built the country. I wouldn't call them fearless because everybody can experience fear, but I called them risk takers. People who have, as a fundamental aspect of their character, the ability to tame their fear, to harness the energy that results in constructive ways so that you do what is necessary to defend yourself as best you can against the danger, but you forge ahead, even in a dangerous environment, working together in order to achieve the goals that allow you to have a life according to God's wish for you, Uh, that you should live uh, uh, and work together in his goodwill, enjoying the results that he allows. And when in the history of America did people say that because it's dangerous and because it's difficult and because it might kill me, I'm going to stop? Was that typical of the American attitude? Of course not, because the country could not have been built up that way. The question is never... Am I in a dangerous environment? Because you want to know the truth? We walk in the valley of the shadow of death. It's always a dangerous environment. So when people come and say, we're being attacked, you don't immediately say, let's hunker down and hope the enemy doesn't kill us. (laughs) Yes. And isn't that what we're doing right now?
1: I think that's exactly what we're doing. Let me give an example. I mean, you talk about things that happen, people before us. We have the people who traveled in the Mayflower, right? And they knew the danger of the journey. Uh, they knew mm-hmm. that they could die. They knew that uh, setting up a new colony and all of that uh, would, would be a risk, as you said. It They would be risk-takers. And when they got here, they began to set up government, and the first thing they did was they wrote the Mayflower Compact. And in that compact, they said, in the name of God, amen. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James by the grace of God. Of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken not for the glory of man, not for you know the glory of anything else, but for the glory of God, an advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these. Uh, presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combined ourselves together in a civil body politic. Now, that's basically, you know, our first, um, I don't know how, constitution, if you will, in the fact that the people were clearly and solidly saying our lives and our government is going to be based upon the God who brought us to this land. Boy, have we abandoned that. Well, we we haven't yet, completely. Uh, But we are being
0: asked to do so by certain forces in our society ever more insistently in the course of my lifetime. Uh, Because what you just described is exactly paralleled in the founding of the United States. And the document that corresponds to the Flower Compact is the one we used to have great familiarity with. Though because of the agenda now being followed in schools and universities, they have basically pushed it aside and that's the Declaration of Independence. Uh, But what's interesting about the Declaration of Independence that I find appalling that people forget it and that they let folks get into our politics and act as if because some Supreme Court decision uh, was made, uh, we are gonna completely forget that our right of self-government, yes, the rightness of our self-government, if I can put it that way, was derived from an understanding from the moment we stepped onto the world stage as a people. The American people said that they did so, they did so, uh, uh, um, uh, in, in respect and calling on the authority of the laws of nature, that is the laws that govern nature, and the source of those laws which is God, right? So they evoke the laws of nature and of nature God. And we always use the word right, and we talk about rights and so forth and so on. What is a right? And, and some people will just say, well, right is the freedom to do this and the freedom to do that. Not quite. In the first instance, right is a right action endowed, informed by the standard of God's will, right? And that's exactly the meaning of the word right in the declaration, endowed, that is to say, filled with content, yes, uh, by their creator with certain unalienable, meaning you can't give them away because they're a part of what defines you as a human being. They're a part of you as you have come from the hand of God made to exist as an entity called the uh, uh, human being. Uh, And so if you somehow were separated from that uh, endowment of rights, you would cease to exist as a human being, right? Uh, And that's the implication. So this inseparable sense that there are certain things that it's right to do because it conforms with God's will for your nature, God's rules for your existence, that's the fundamental understanding of right. Therefore, right begins as a matter of responsibility to God to respect the bounds that define you in existence, that makes your existence possible uh, by his goodwill as the creator uh, and the underlying substance of all that is the determination of his being in you that makes your existence possible. Uh, and, and we've forgotten all of that. We act as if somehow it's just some kind of a freedom that we have to do whatever we feel like doing and so forth. No, it's not. It's rooted in a commitment to do right by God's endowment, by God's will. I've always liked that juxtaposition because it it evokes uh, the last will and testament of a human being, right? Or the will that says that I'm endowing a chair at this university. But it's done on the basis of respecting the terms of the will, isn't it? And the terms of the will are the commandments and instructions of God for our good which by following them allow us to exist and enjoy the fruit of our existence according to his will and to fit into the universe of our existence, the cosmos, as it's called in, in, in the scripture, or uh, the, the whole of a thing, uh, to fit into that in a way that allows all things to work together for good because we are doing and acting according to the Lord's command which, though people often forget it, is the actual meaning of the love of God. The love of God manifests itself, as Christ tells us, in following God's commandments. And so when you put it all together, that's the bedrock foundation of the United States. And we don't claim that we're free of government. No, if you look at the situation in which the Declaration was written, they had they were uh, essentially aduring the government and and moving away from uh, the abusive government of the King of England, right? But they hadn't established yet an overall government for the people of the United States. They were governed by, at that time, by state governments that had relied for their claim of authority on the King of England. So let's see what's happening. They have moved away from the King of England. That implies that their state governments have moved away from the source of their authority. What is the authority by which they're acting about? Well, they state it clearly, don't they? They act by the authority of God. That's what we forget these things, okay? Uh, We do not derive the authority of government, our ability to establish a government, from ourselves or our power or our willful determination, uh, the way a lot of modern philosophers want to have it, because The premise of our existence is the acknowledgment of God's authority. And so America and the American people come into existence prior to the government that is supposed to be over all of them. Their first government is the government of God. And they are constrained by their responsibility, that is their answerability, to God's will, which endows them with existence according to the bounds and rules and instructions, commandments, if you like, that allow us to exist in a way that perpetuates life and allows for our prosperity and happiness. Um, all of that is there in the Declaration. Uh, and as we step away from God, what happens to the whole structure? It collapses. It's gone. And, and, and the whole premise of liberty as an unalienable right disappears. And and, and people don't realize that that's what's been at stake in the course of my whole lifetime as we were induced by people who hate God to abandon that premise of his authority and pretend that this way of life, our form of government, which has been, by the way, the most successful in the history of mankind, we can sustain this form of government apart from our reverence for God's authority. Uh, and, and the end result is what? That you have a bunch of people who are relying on the fact that though they were made fearless by their belief, that with, with uh, the assurance that they acted and were walking down the path of God, they could brave any fear, right? Come to a new and unknown world, come into an environment of oppression, but in every situation that they face, rely on God's justice and God's understanding of right to empower them, even unto death, to bear witness to the truth and and have no fear that their courage would fail. I think that's what gave us the strength to do many things as a people, including to overcome injustices in our own midst and to help the world then to deal with the shadow of evil more than once in the course of the 20th century. And finally, rise to a preeminence of leadership in the world, not rulership, but leadership in the world that then offered the same possibility to other nations and other people.
1: Uh, but
0: as we have been uh, kind of slyly, deceitfully, willfully, malevolently induced to turn our back on God, we are turning our back on the whole premise of our existence as a people. And final point, it's also the premise that allows us across all the usual boundaries that distinguish one race, one people from another, to come together before God and on the grounds of our common humanity to construct a form of government that respected each and every person on account of the presence of God's will within us. uh We're losing it. And we're losing it because without that premise of respect for God's authority, we fall prey to every the least fear that is conjured up by the enemy of our enemies of our true liberties, in order to destroy our country, and that's what's happening to so I believe.
1: Yeah, I I tend to think so too. And one of the things that I want to get to because we cover it on Wednesdays, and uh, we're getting a little feedback here. I don't know where that's coming from, but uh, one of the things that we do on Wednesdays is we go and we deal with the education system and how that's basically being taken mm-hmm. over in such a way. That it is humanism that's being taught, and it's not being pointing back to the Creator. It's not reminding, um, you know, young people of where they came from. It's not reminding them of what their forefathers did. It's not reminding them of the commands of God. And therefore, what's happening is the you know we're bringing the curses on ourselves in our country from deuteronomy 28 where god laid out the blessings and the the cursings and that's all tied back into deuteronomy 6 where he says you teach these things to your children when you're Mm -hmm. getting up when you're lying down when you're walking in the way and then he says lest you forget because i'm going to bring you into a land that you didn't plant the vineyards you didn't build the houses or any and i don't want you or your children to forget me and then we'll quote things like hosea 4 6 and we'll say my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and he says because you've forgotten me I'll forget you and your children. And I think that's what we're seeing, is it not? Is that not what we're seeing here, And, and, and t- unless we repent, unless we turn back?
0: Well, I, with with one, I guess, nuance. And it's not a nuance of difference. It's a nuance that takes account of the difference of our situation as a people from the situation of the Israelites. Because in point of fact, we, have, uh, most of us, came from elsewhere, right? And regardless of the time or premise on which you came, you came as people who were going to have to build the homes. You were going to have to uh, create the farms and, and, and build the factories and the industry and so forth and so on. But what it is that we were relying on God for uh, was what in the end was at the heart of the relationship with God between the, Israel, the Israelites and, and God Almighty, which was at the end of the day, not a matter of the houses and the trees and so forth and so on, but the goodwill of God answered by our goodwill in obedience to God. Uh, so it became a matter through Jesus Christ of that spiritual and moral communion, which he represented uh, and which grafted us into the promise that God made to uh, uh, the people of Israel, but it was a grasping that reflected a difference that we had before us an example of how in our very humanity we could walk the walk of God in such a way as to call upon his blessing, which he then would shower upon us. If we lose it then, we don't lose it as a new uh, determination of God and his wrath. We use it as the wrath that is implied whenever you step beyond the boundaries of God's goodwill for you to walk a path that has not been provisioned by that goodwill. Uh, That is to say, whenever you abandon your trust in God and therefore your obedience (laughs) to Um, and, and so it is a kind of consequential wrath uh, one of the forms of wrath that comes because of, I think Jonathan Edwards evoked it reasonably well when he talked about sinners in the hand of an angry God I always get the image with that of people who though they real, don't may or may not realize it are living at the eye of the storm and though we don't always realize it but it is made clear in the scripture for instance when Moses wants to, you know, sort of look in the face of God and says, well, no, if you do that kind of thing, you're going to be destroyed." But I'll put you over here, carefully provide a place where you will be uh, safe in order to bear witness, and I'll pass by and then you can look at me after I pass. Right? What does that imply? It implies that his ways are not our ways. He has provided a way that allows us to exist. But in the being of God itself, there are ways that are what can I say beyond our comprehension. Yep. That is beyond our ability to encompass them within our being. His being is that much more infinitely possible and capable and various than our being. It's like a storm, right? Uh, that's why I always found it intriguing when when Moses asked God, "What shall I? Uh, what? Uh, who shall I say to the?" Uh, Israelites, who shall I say, but, uh sensitive. And, and though it's variously translated, it's often translated, I am who am, right? But the, the uh, word that's being used there can, as I remember it also be, could also be translated, I become what I become, right? Meaning to say, what I am is entirely determined by me. Therefore, it transcends your understanding because I am boundless, all things are possible with me. Are all things possible for us? Of course not, because at some point, we have to accept the bounds that define us as as what we are, but there are no such boundaries to God. Uh, uh, except what he himself uh, uh, sort of comes to, but his determinations are not limits upon him they are limits that allow the existence of all the beings and entities in the world, including ourselves. Right. Um, and, and, and and from our point of view, therefore God is to us something we can't bear. It's a way of being that we cannot imitate. Uh, we are of God, but we are not God. That is the lie of the adversary. Um, and even, even though when Satan came or the, or the snake came along and, and, and said, uh, you "No, know, uh, you shall in that day you shall not die." Contradicting God, you shall be as God, right? Um, Eve should have said, since uh, from what we know and reading the scripture, she should have looked at him and said, "Are oh, you kidding? You think you're going to fool me with that? <laughs> I am already <laughs> as God, because that's what God says, isn't it? Hmm. In the image and likeness of God made He man. Uh, so." From that point of view, she just gave in to something that was—well, that was, that, I, I should say she should have known, uh, but we certainly should know because we read it in the Word of God, and then it was exemplified for us in the person of Christ. That doesn't mean that there aren't possibilities within us uh, that we have not yet encountered. That's why our existence is filled with such wondrous variety. That's why we have such great curiosity. We can explore infinitely. That's why I sometimes marvel that people don't realize that eternal life is the opportunity eternally to explore the various beings of God, right? The various beings, the inexhaustible ways of God. But we do so in conformity with the way he has laid out for us to be and to know and to relate to him and through him, who is the word, right, through the word, we relate to the rest of his universe. But in saying that we relate to the rest of the universe through his word, through him, through that word, all things remain, means that we have to accept, don't we? We have to accept the outline and determination that that implies, because we can only be what we are through the good will of God. You see what I'm saying? And I think that that basic understanding was what informed the American founding and what then allows us to walk as a people when we are walking in God's way in a way that does not, how can I put it, just conform to the possibility of being the chosen people of God, but of being the whole of humanity according to God's original intention that we should exist, right? Right not as one people among many whose account highlights the power and goodwill of God, but as the truth that he intended from the beginning for the very creation of Adam highlighted the power and goodwill of God. And we are the heirs to that creation. And through Jesus Christ, we become, as it were, conscious of that truth that we too are chosen. Our existence is chosen by him, uh, as long as we are willing to walk in his way. Uh, And and, and when we follow the path of all those, because we got a little knowledge, right? When we started to learn a little more about about God's universe and to be uh, confronted with the wonders that have been beyond our understanding, but then allows us and lifts the veils for us and we can see a little further and a little further and a little further, Suddenly, we're hearkening to the people who say, well, because we know this, we can know everything. And we can be the masters of our own destiny and our own faith, and there is no God. God is dead. And in the 20th century, we succumb to that obvious lie, which we all know to be untrue. Because even when we're thinking the only way our thinking works is to accept the determinations that allow our thoughts to become, how can I put it, logical conclusions. I don't know why people forget this. Well, even even the way we know the world through science requires that we submit to the instruction and prior determinations of God, otherwise we can reach no valid conclusion. Uh, yeah. But these days, everybody's in the business of ignoring that, and we've become a farce to ourselves. Uh, if I woke up tomorrow and suddenly decided that contrary to what our very science tells us, I uh, wake up and say, well, I, I'm going to be a woman today, not a man. Does that make it so? No, it doesn't. Of course not. So how are we allowing folks to come along and sit in some judge's chair and tell us that you must call that? one over there, a woman, because that's what they say they must be called. Uh, And then at the same time, they try to argue that they're people who respect science enough to tell us that our climate is changing, and therefore we must accept their too. They don't believe in science. They have rejected the fundamental premise of science. And they make that clear in the way they deal with certain issues, like transgenderism and abortion and all of this. You, You couldn't find anything that was more contrary to accepting the discipline that allows us to have scientific understanding, than either of those farces, right? One being the tragic farce through which we become death dealers instead of life givers, uh, following the example of God in pro-creation. See what I'm saying? Uh, and and, and we're, we're allowing ourselves to be talked into this? It's crazy. And, and, and it's a craziness that then leads the destruction of our way of life, yep. which is happening right now all around.
1: Let me let me see if I can ask a, a question. Maybe you can you can you can get on that too, because I think the things mm. that you've brought out are, are the pretty apparent things that people see. Uh, whether mm. it is uh, the accepting accepting of sodomy, uh, that people mm-hmm. can somehow you know mutilate their bodies and become the opposite sex, or um, mm. it, you know the murder of of unborn babies in America that, that dwarfs anything we saw with Nazi Germany. We Mm. can easily point those things out. They're definitely moral issues. And then there are the underlying things that are moral issues too, that a lot of people don't talk about, such as Mm. when we start accumulating a ton of debt, which the Bible says is a curse. And then it says children are a blessing. And we've swapped that off. We've said, Oh, debt's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Children are a bad thing. And then we start messing with the value of that. That the you know Jesus drove money changers out of the temple not because they were selling things that had to do with uh, following God's commands with the sacrifice, but they were cheating people out of money. They were they were unjust weights and measures. And he says he hates that. They're an abomination to him. And we're having those things going. Is this? An, let me ask you in your in your view, is this an issue uh, a reflection of the morality of the people from your view? Or is it a test of God to see whether or not they're going to hold fast to Him? Well, I
0: don't think that things are, are mutually specific to um, you. I think in a Sure, way, I agree. I agree. Our very existence is a test. Um, but I use that word always, remembering that it hasn't... Uh, we think of a test as something that, how can I put it, tries you, Right? Uh, puts you on trial, makes you go through a trial, but it's a trial of what? Well, it's a trial of your understanding and of your knowledge. That's what a test usually is in school, isn't it? How much did you learn? Uh, How much uh, are are you capable of uh, setting forth that follows the way uh, that you have uh, learned, that follows the instruction, right? That you have been given. Um, And in that sense, What a test is, is also testimony, isn't it? Because your performance is going to bear witness to the fact that you have learned what it is that you are supposed to know. uh, Or that you have in you the characteristics, the traits, the virtues, the abilities that you're supposed to have. Uh, Whether it's the the test to show that you're going to be uh, a good chemist or the test. Uh, of arms to show that you're going to be a good warrior and things of that kind. Um, so, yes, it's tests, but it's also testimony. It is therefore a trial, but it's also a witness, isn't it? Amen. And we are called upon to do all those things in respect of what at the end of the day? In respect of God. In respect of God's instruction, in respect of God's will, in respect of God's determination. And whether or not we walk a walk that corresponds to our understanding of our of, of responsibility, as it were, to God and of the instructions we are to carry out as a result of that responsibility. And what you mentioned are instances in which we violate the most, and the first and most important instruction that was there in the time to mind. Because I think a lot of what we have done in our economic life and that we are doing at this moment and slyly being induced to uh, do in a way that I think is really self destructive, um, all of it has to do with the fact that the first commandment is that we should have no gods before Him. Yes? Yep. That He's God. The whole hero is the Lord, your God is one. Well, Aren't all the, the things that are now kind of being called into question in a way by the whole situation we found ourselves in, we're sitting here looking around and we're having to decide what What's really the thing we worship, give worth to? Yeah? What is it? Is it uh, money? Is it safety? Is it the physical body? And itself. What do we really give Or, 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 and we should also be thinking. Or is it that sense of worth derived from being, as it were, made in the image and likeness of God, conforming therefore to His will in our actions and experiencing, as a result, an understanding of ourselves that reflects the goodness of God? And that allows us, therefore, to bask, as it were, in the presence and peace. Of Which is more important to us? You? you know? Uh, and, and, and if we say it's the money and so forth and so on, then we start to follow the idols, don't we? But at the end, of, what are the idols at the end of the day? And the idols are characterized as those who have hands but, uh, have legs but, and feet but move not, right? Have lips but speak not. They, they are the appearance of something that lives, but they're not alive. Isn't it true, though, that once we come to understand who we are as, in ourselves as what God intends us to be, we have to acknowledge that the substance from which he makes us is his own substance, isn't it? And that therefore, if we are acting as if we are only flesh and not Uh, as it were, a a product of the determination of God which breathes him, his being, his spirit into us and we step away from that spirit and try to act as if all these material things are all that there and They determine our work and so forth and so on. Then we're actually killing ourselves. Are we living? Are we not? Because the true life is the life in which we understand that what moves us, what animates, What allows us in the end to become a living soul is that breath of life within us. And when we step away from that spiritual communion, we are actually embracing our own death. Um, And here we sit in the middle of a situation where they're trying to scare us to death, aren't they? Or they're trying to scare us with death. Sure, They're not trying to scare us to death. They're trying to scare us with death. And, and, and what we are called to do, I think as a biblical and Christian people, we're, we're called to uh, remember. Uh, you can't scare me with death so long as I remain in my spirit in conformity with and in relation with the the will and the love of God which he has shown me and which therefore I reflect back to him. Right? Yep. And And... And that's what we're being challenged to remember because that's the spirit at the end of the day that allowed this nation not just to come into existence, but to prosper and ultimately to achieve things that were thought to be impossible for what they thought of as ordinary and common people and so forth and so on. But anyone who walks the walk of God becomes, don't they, not common or unclean but uncommon and purified by that relationship with God, who is the source of all true respect, because he's the source of all true beauty. And when we knew that and acted accordingly, we weren't being misled by all these false lights. But now I think we're surrounded by them, and darkness is being conjured up to scare us, false life being conjured up to lead us away from that understanding of our true life. Um, And that is what, in the end, I think, is going to constitute the uh, consequential wrath that will destroy our country because we have turned away from God. In in that respect, Solzhenitsyn was right. Our biggest danger is not that we're challenged by the coronavirus. It's that we've forgotten God. And the crown, I've always thought it ironic in this situation, the crown is being taken away from us, the sovereignty we have enjoyed as a people. It's going to be taken away from us because we have stepped out from under the will of God, who is the only true crowning glory of our
1: man, Yeah, no, I think I think I think you're exactly right. Uh that was something I was gonna say. Our greatest danger, and I've said it several times on the show, is not Democrats, it's not Republicans, it's not communists or Islamists or any of that other stuff. Those are just manifestations of thing of mm. ideologies mm. that are against God. Our greatest mm. danger is God Himself because He has said if you're going to be disobedient, if you're his people, he's going to discipline you. He's going to chat. He's going to chasten you because he loves you, just like a father does his son. But on a nation, boy, he he lays it out to them. If you're going to be this way, if you're going to go this route, the only thing you have, um, you you talk about the, the not the fear of uh, fear, which is a sort of a humanistic kind of view. But you have me to fear. I think it's the writer of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. He says you you the only thing you you have to look forward to is fiery indignation and judgment from God. And you referenced to Jonathan Edwards. That was a great uh thing because you know, you see the response of the people. You read the testimony at that time when he preached that sermon, and people were wailing and they were broken and they were fearful that they had violated God's law and they wanted mercy. And that's a far cry from the Christianity we see today, where it's just Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, and no confrontation of sin, no direction in the commands of God, uh no call to holiness, no call to repentance um none of that we're we're seeing us get further and further away. There are faithful ministers out there i want to t- I want to take away from that of uh, the word of god we want to, we want to exhort those yep. brothers in that, but this is what we're seeing take over we got about four yep. minutes here. go ahead.
0: Uh, just, just a thought uh, uh, in, in what you're saying, because I also think what that means is that when you lack the fear of God, you have stepped away from the love of God, right? Yes. Because you're not following his, his will. Absolutely. Uh, and when you step away from the love of God, you have stepped out of the eye of the storm into the storm. And I think that's what, what always comes to my mind when I think of the Jonathan Edwards uh, image. Sin is in the hand of an eye of God. But it is actually a situation where, being in the hand of God, we are at peace. Being in the hand of God, we are sheltered and we are safe. We are, as it were, at the eye of the sinner. Uh, and, and when we step away from that, it, it, we have stepped off that hand, like people stepping off a ledge into an abyss. And we fall into that, which, because we no longer respect the determinations of God's will that make us possible, we fall into that which tears us apart uh, and destroys us. Yeah, and and I agree. Uh, sadly, that is what we're more than tempted to do. right? think that is what we're being on every side to do. And the key casualties that comes from that step is that we lose courage, we lose heart, which is what courage literally means that which comes from the heart for the strength of our heart is the love of god and when we step away from the obedience that reflects that love we lose heart and therefore we lose courage Uh, and people move in and take over Uh, we cease to be capable of liberty because we have lost the heart that makes us worthy of it but also capable of using it right
1: yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And part of this issue that we, we run up against is uh, when we don't follow God, we eventually fall into tyranny. You know, the Old Testament would tell us mm-hmm. in Leviticus that we're to proclaim liberty throughout the land. I think that's on the, the Liberty Bill as well. And um, and that's a part of our heritage also. And where does that liberty come from? Well, it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who proclaimed liberty. Uh, he's the one who said, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And it's not just knowing it, but it's obeying that truth. It's following the truth mm-hmm. that's been given to us by God, which is all the things you spoke about here. When we depart from that, when we depart wickedly from our God, as the Scripture says, we find ourselves under a cruel tyrant who is not out to do us good. He may promise us liberty, but what he's seeking to do is enslave us. And I don't know that you, you mentioned rights a minute ago. and We've only got about a minute here. Uh, but you mentioned rights ago, and everybody's just coming up with rights. They just claim, I have the right to do this and do that and do the other. But it's like you said before, rights are there. They're liberties or authorities. That's what the word means. And what, what they are are the rights to do the right thing before our Creator. Okay. And if people don't right. get that, what do they have to look for? I'm going to kick it over to you. you got about uh, 20 seconds, 30 seconds or so.
0: Well, I think what they get if they don't. Uh, accept that relationship between right and the standard of rightness of God, uh, is that they find themselves in the place where having abandoned that which is the premise or foundation of their liberty, they must lose their liberty. Having stepped out from under the crowning authority of God, they lose the claim to wear the crown of self-governance, uh, and they come under tyranny because there is no way to be free you are free according to that standard of God. The only way we stand fast is in the liberty wherewith Christ makes us free by bringing us into that communion with God's good will.
1: Amen, amen Dr. Keyes, thank you for the time that you've given us If you want to check out him uh, You can check out his show on imtv.us In 23 hours we'll be back with you Gordon Runyon is going to be my guest Resistance to Tyrants is his book We're going to talk about that on Friday See ya